Hello, may I welcome you to episode 48 of Moving Matters. I am your host, Colin Wynn. I hope Moving Matters will give you an insight to others working or have worked in this wonderful industry as I delve into their past, their present and their future. You will find a new episode of Moving Matters on the second and fourth Thursday of each month. In this episode, we discover that my guest began his career within the industry some 15 years ago, which was on a part-time basis for the first 10 years before starting his domestic moving business. We discuss his challenges, what he would change from his moving past, his high points, what changes he would make to the industry, the advice he would give starting out again, his predictions for the next five years, and what he does outside of the workplace. And as always, we end with a funny moving story. Well, two actually. My guest this episode is Joshua Taylor, Managing Director of Cavisham Moves. But before we begin, episode 48 marks the second year anniversary of Moving Matters, so I would just like to thank every guest that has participated and therefore allowed me to make these episodes for your listening pleasure. And of course to you, our listening audience, which continues to grow on a daily basis from all over the world. Thank you so very, very much. Now enjoy. Good morning, Joshua. How are you this morning? Uh, very well, thank you. Uh, how are you? I'm very well indeed. Welcome to Moving Matters. Can you tell everyone about yourself and the length of time within the industry? Uh, hi there. My name is uh, Josh Taylor. I'm Managing Director of Cavisham Moves Limited. Uh, we're based in Berkshire. We cover sort of local and national moving services for the domestic moving market. And we've been operating for five years with all of our management team being within the industry for over 15 to 20 years. So how did you get started within the industry? (laughs) Like most moving companies, by fluke, really. It's not something that we set out to do to begin with, but my background being sports and massage therapy, I was kind of self-employed in that format and then working for removal companies in the quiet period, I sort of subsidized myself. And then I exited that industry, wanted a bit of a change and having quite a good background in domestic moving. And my brother being a builder and tradesman at that time was also looking to change his industry. And both of us working part-time and for long periods of time over the last 10 years doing removals domestically, we decided that we want to start our own enterprise building a a complete domestic moving solution that offers just completely stress-free moving you know a lot of moving providers will do this and not that and do this and that but not necessarily just cover completely hands-free moving services and that's what we built our business on and are currently doing and it's working a stress-free removal service at the most stressful time of your life wow so so like moving should be a nice experience, right? You're buying a absolutely a six hundred thousand pound house, and you've gone through the stress of conveyancing and buying and selling, prepping you know, for months. Uh, so then, the final link should always be a nice experience, I think. And from my experience working for other companies for you know, over ten years, I saw that there was errors or ways that they could make that definitely less stressful, but chose not to. And that's what we built this business on is just we could definitely help with reducing the stress down um, and that's what we did. <laughs> so can you tell everybody about Cavisham Moves and the services they offer? 
So we exclusively do domestic moves. Uh, you're looking at like 95% of our stuff is domestic. We, we started with that ethos because we wanted to make direct home-to-home move services a nice experience. We obviously do additional services also like packing services, assembling installations, furniture deliveries. We do assistance or trade assistance for the industry also because we have a, a very diverse skill set of our crews that naturally gets utilised for, for other operators that, that need assistance. And it also just keeps our crews busy for the full duration of the working year. But primarily focusing on domestic moves, a lot of our moving services include like a hands-free service. So full pack, move, unpacking services, disposal. We also do charitable donations of unwanted goods. So you know, you don't have to run about going to Sarah's to get rid of this and that. We'll just handle that the days leading up to the move, including disposal. We'll then visit the day before the move to pack and prep and preload if required. And then on the moving day, we reduce the stress down by only delivering a partial consignment on completion. And then a lot of our moves are post-completion deliveries, which we feel is a more stress-free move start to finish for clients and for our staff no real long key waits which is notoriously bad experience for clients and staff because nothing worse than waiting outside the door from 12 to 4 with 4,000 cubic foot to unload within an hour <laughs> uh, it's, it's just it's, it's it, you know it's really stressful for everyone involved so that's why we we tend to do a lot of preloading in containerized or on truck and held over until the completion or post-completion delivery clients pay a little bit more for it but actually if you talk them through the process of how that move may go you can create cost-effective solutions that work how many vehicles do you run so we have a mixed fleet up to 18 ton we have two 18 tons one seven and a half ton and five vans so loot and maxi loaders and crew ford custom vans which gives us sort of options for how we operate. And in peak seasons, like most companies, we, we hire in additional resources if required just to keep our offerings lean because there's no point yeah. having loads of assets sat around depreciating. So then we, we hire in if, if needed or on peak season. And that keeps us busy. And how many staff do you employ? So we have a group of 10, including office and operational staff. Our ethos is actually super local. So we only employ people that work or live within a three-mile radius of our operating centre. Oh, wow. We, so we made that made that a point, actually, because you get working for these companies in the past. They would hire Joe Bloggs that lived in Essex. He would uh, yeah. drive every day to get here, always late, never on time. So we decided to go with local, employ local, train locally, do local moves, and surprise, if they do a good job, because they might bump into some in Waitrose. But, but generally, <laughs> we try and employ people that have lived and worked in this area for a long period of time, because actually clients like that. They like that our staff have a good understanding of the area that they're working in. They know the good Definitely. routes. They know the best restaurants. You know, when we deliver our clients on completion day, they say, you know, where's the best place for a beer? They can tell you exactly where to go to. And the cost oh, we all know where the best places are to go for a beer, trust yeah. me. Yeah, and it really works. And that's our ethos, and it seems to work well in our domestic moving. So. Do you offer storage as well? 
Yes, we have two warehouses locally that offer temporary containerized storage, the traditional 250 cubic foot containers for clients. That's purely for domestic. We also do furniture fulfillment services for some other local enterprises. So delivering sofas, patio garden furniture. We sometimes import or temporary hold of stock for clients that, you know, like like made uh, and other companies that you just need temporary sort of storage services. And then we, uh, on occasion, deliver those effects for them. But traditionally, it's just holding services for, for overspill yeah. stock. But generally, you know, we primarily focus on domestic moving. So with your guys that are all within like a three-mile radius yeah. of your offices, how do you attract them to come and work for you? Try and find staff is hard enough, but to literally then say, okay, we're, we're going to stick within this three-mile radius. Yeah. So it's, it, how, how does that work? It's actually easier than you think. So, you know, the traditional route of putting ads out for local operators, naturally the removals industry is like a friends and family sort of enterprise, right? So you might have a good friend that you work with that has good skill set. We interview them, see if they're adequate for our operation, look at training that we can add to their experience and get them up to sound that we need them to be but um what we supply our crews with is the the best equipment we we pay a very good salary for their work and actually people come to us for work uh, quite often because they see that we offer a good employment share so actually we don't do a lot of searching for stuff they tend to come to us really most recently we we had a a HTV driver come on board who had a, a wealth of experience for high-end furniture deliveries for you know, over eight or ten years and he we moved his boss <laughs> and he saw oh, us really? on the day and then uh during covid he decided that he wanted to take the initiative to get his HTV licensing and he, he you know sent me a cv and said i like what you do here i like what you offer as employment ship but at the time, we were only employing HGV drivers. And I said, you know, you're progressing with your HGV uh, certification. Once you pass it, then come back to me. And very inspiring. He, he actually progressed through his HGV licensing during COVID and passed his HGV licensing. Then come back to me and said that, you know, he'd like to interview for the role that we had going at the time. Uh, he's now been working for us for over a year plus. We've put him through some industry-specific training courses just to get him up to scratch to how we need him to be. Because naturally coming from distribution only into household furniture, handling is is slightly more personal. So it took a bit of tweaking, but actually it's come on leaps and bounds, really. We We had interviews or meetings yesterday, PMI meetings, and I took some notes from our operations managers to kind of go into that interview with some comments or feedback that we wanted to give him. And our operations manager couldn't actually think of any negatives. <laughs> you know, really? yeah, you're struggling, sort of scratching around. So, That's brilliant. Know, coming on into removals, being so so high energy, quite labor intensive, found it difficult to sort of build up his endurance for that. But six months in, he's come on leaps and bounds, and he's now up to the standard of our other operating crew. And we can't find any fault in him at the moment, which is great. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. So what challenges have you had to overcome? So starting the company, 
so I'll take you back to where we first started actually so we uh, you know came into the industry with zero financing I just left my personal training employment ship and went traveling for a few months came back empty pocketed and my brother being in the building industry that had just taken a recession was in a similar circumstance and we both went oh you know what do we do and we had a good amount of experience in domestic moving so we thought look we'll give this a go but starting a company with zero financing is quite a challenge and the industry being quite low margin anyway is even harder because trying to build with zero assets zero finance is, is a challenge in itself but luckily we were able to sweet talk one of our local hire companies to lend us a van for our first month we didn't pay a deposit or uh, any any payments up front for a full working month and then we were able to pay our first month in a month's time which really helped us so then i'd say the biggest challenge is, is purchasing good assets reliable assets without taking high interest financing options because at that point we looked yeah. at other options and it was just really expensive way of starting a, a gamble yeah i'd say that was one of, my, one of our main challenges if you could change anything from your moving past what would it be so i've worked from the age of 13 to 33 with very little respite and if i was 16 again i'd tell myself to start my own business sooner it's very beneficial for your development i feel like i've come on in five years 150 percent more than i have in the 15 years prior to that so i think definitely lean towards starting your own business sooner you'll develop your skill sets faster and it's just generally more enjoyable i think working for someone working for an employer is great and good fun but owning and operating your own business is more challenging but actually the reward is a lot higher so i'd encourage everyone to take the leap and you know start up your own enterprise because actually you'd be surprised how fast you actually develop as a person. So what is your high point of being in the industry? We started five years ago with just myself, my brother and business partner. And then year two, we took on one person. Year three, we took on one person. In the last two years, we've tripled that. So I think my greatest achievement so far is offering employment to multiple individuals but also investing into their development which we've done a lot over the last two years whether that be through industry specific training courses whether that's getting them through their hdv license or driving licensing just developing their skill set so they're able to put a deposit down on a house and progress with their own lives and i think that's a great achievement to have really have you sent all of your staff on training courses? Pretty much, yeah. So I'd say 90% of our staff, uh, minus our secretary, has had some industry-specific training qualifications. We see it as a priority. In the 10 years working for other companies prior to this, not a single operator ever offered us any enhancements to our um, skill sets. 
it was yeah, all such it was, a shame such yeah a shame. No, massively it was all on the job training which is fine you learn a lot from senior sort of drivers and operators but i think having industry accredited training is essential it's also a great selling point for the business but it also has a baseline for standards which i think a lot of operators don't put priority on in the last two years since we have been progressing with investment or, or investing into staff training and development our company on a whole has come on leaps and bounds so it's definitely something that we're, we'll keep progressing with but also what we did see in our first two years of trading was not investing into staff they you know they get bored they seek other other avenues whereas the last two years you know we haven't lost a single member of staff because we're always giving them options to enhance their skill sets and increase their increase their wage packet you know which is you know what they what they want and if you give people the option to progress themselves then nine times out of ten they take it but also keeping staff is essential because you're building an experience pool of handling moves very well and if you keep changing that pool it's really hard to you know keep the consistency of your service definitely um so yeah you know definitely keeping the investing into our staff and their development is essential what one thing would you change within the moving industry? So we, prior to 2020, were running just vans only. We invested heavily into those vans, so we, we didn't have you know the Ford Transits or anything like that. We, we only operated with Euro 6 vehicles, traditionally less than two years old or, or from new, so that they were good assets anyway. They're very reliable. But what I would say is there is a lot of van operators, some of them working extremely high standards, but some of them not so. So i definitely be an advocate for maybe like an operator's license in some format for any vehicles that offer whatever as a service. Uh, a lot of van operators run illegally. We all know it, unfortunately. You know, we receive estimates from other operators that will happily run from Scotland to Plymouth in a day, which is pretty impossible unless you're rotating three drivers, which is definitely not happening. And I just think it's really unfair on the actual operational crew to be giving them shifts like that. You know, it's not fair on their family either, not seeing their, you know, their, their partners for such long windows. So I think having the operator's license for any higher reward vehicles would eradicate that because they'd have operating windows that they can only operate within. So it, it, would, it would sort of balance out the, the spectrum for transport. Yeah, that would be nice. So the three and a half ton brigade, as yeah. they're well and truly known, I've had a bit of a slating on these podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> but... I think everybody is in agreement that something needs to be done. We don't want to eradicate the three and a half ton brigade. We just need to improve upon it. There's nothing wrong with running vans. Yeah, no, exactly. But so, we need to run them legally and not illegally. Exactly. Our first three years of trading, we only ran vans. We loaded them to only 500 cubic foot. So we were never running overloaded. We had operating shifts of eight till four at that point also. So we weren't 
operating illegally either in terms of driving out. But did you ever get stopped though, Josh? Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, I, you know, I've we've had yeah we've had free vehicles stopped for being overloaded, and this is why we went with the operator's license route because they were marginal. We had one vehicle uh, I was driving actually. It had one plant pot, a fairly heavy one on the back. And on the day of the move, clients said, hey, you know, on the survey, actually, that plant's not going. And then on the move day, oh, that plant's going. So obviously, we were slightly overloaded on that vehicle. You know, we were stopped, fined, snapped on the wrist. But actually, it raised the case that these vehicles are not necessarily geared towards purpose. And that's why we, we went the route of operating a larger heavy goods vehicles. It's also more cost effective, I find, running uh, larger vehicles. It's easier to schedule. We've not seen any difficulty with finding HTV drivers or employing HTV drivers. So it's definitely something that will continue. But there definitely is a place for, for vans and van operators for sure. We operate in Berkshire. There's a lot of inaccessible streets. So having these smaller vehicles are well utilized. The vans that we do have on our fleet are used five days a week. Whereas the yeah. HDVs are, you know, three to five days a week. So they're definitely, the usage is there. But I think just sorting out the, the legal parameters for these operators would be essential because we see a lot of drivers, unfortunately, running a lot of hours while driving. And it's just not safe. Do you think we would get better money for the moves if there was a legislation in place for that? Yeah, I think naturally a lot of the cowboy movers would no longer operate or they'd change industry or look at other avenues. But we don't really focus on price. We focus on service. So we supply a very good service. We charge a fair rate for it. And we've always stayed fairly busy. So then we don't really get involved with the conversations on van operators and them reducing the industry down because that's not necessarily the problem. I think the problem is how you operate as a van operator versus how you price as a van operator. We're all van operators officially. Every company that I know in transport has a range of vehicles. So there's a purpose for each of them. It's just how you actually operate them, whether you operate them legally and illegally. And if we can clamp down on the illegal operators, that's always a good thing because we've got safer vehicles on the road. Uh, you know, those are the roads that we take our family on. So we ideally want them to be safe. Totally agree. So what advice would you give to yourself just starting out in the industry again? Now, I know earlier you mentioned about maybe starting the business earlier. So, yeah, I definitely start a business uh, or a removal business earlier in my career, for sure. I would love to have worked for maybe a larger operator or a national operator just to get a feel for other avenues, maybe, because we only do domestic. We haven't really added additional services. Are you wanting to add any other additional services? No, our, our, our business model is... We're quite happy. Yeah, our business model isn't geared towards any other. So we, we've never considered it and we do well at it. And what we do, what we do, we do well. So we, we haven't needed it. But... We're not silly. The domestic market is very saturated at the moment with the operators licensing and Brexit and other factors. The national market is very populated. So we're keen to try other avenues, but we stick to our core and we taper on if we need additional revenue. But so far, so good. 
(laughs) (laughs) So going back to the advice bit, what advice would you give to yourself apart from starting the business sooner? Is there anything specific? Yeah. So, you know, I think from day one, we would try and invest more into the staff straight away. We definitely lost some, some good staff in our first operating years from lack of development. We did a lot of in-house training, which is fine, but nothing industry specific or because of the financing, we never had the cash available to put that into the crew. But seeking financing options, we would have had facility for that. So definitely taking the jump sooner with development would have helped our service and helped keep some key crew members gone into other industries or you know started their own ventures which is completely fine but definitely you know starting that sooner would would be a key thing so where do you see yourself and the industry in the next five years let's concentrate on yourself first where where do you see you and Cavisham moves in the next five years so in the recent years we've got involved with a bit more networking with other movers we're visiting things like the Young Bar Movers conferences, which have been quite interesting and quite. Did you go to that? Yeah, we went to the one in, in Belfast, man. which Good was man. our our first sort of insight into anything to do with BAR. Yeah, and it was quite enlightening. So we, you know, we're looking to develop that more for sure. We're tr- <laughs> we're looking at joining the BAR at some point. We've never needed it in the past, but I think. The networking side of it is really nice. It's good to be amongst other good operators. I think that's key for any business. I think having your business audited is a good thing for definitely compliance, for uh, improving your service. And that's why we, we're now looking at other accreditation and governing bodies to sort of enhance our service that we currently offer. So personally, just keep building the business that, that we are, keep building on our great crews and the service that we do offer. But as a business, in the next five years, we want to try and add on an international moving segment to our service, whether that's for export or door-to-door. We're not sure because we don't do a lot of international at the moment. Yeah. And then looking at joining Feedy and the BAR in the coming years just to enhance our service offering and be among other like-minded movers. So where do you see the industry in the next five years? Uh, Hopefully in a good place. Naturally, we've seen a very good few years. And if that keeps up, then then great. But if things go up, they they tend to go down. So hopefully we can all keep afloat and that would be nice. Yeah, that would be nice. (laughs) No other changes? What would the industry? Not that I can think of. No. <laughs> <laughs> not that, yeah, not that I can think of. But at the end of the day, moving is still going to involve personnel lifting and shifting furniture. That's not going to change. Yeah, that's not but going to change, definitely. Obviously, materials will change. They will become more sustainable. Yeah. Vehicles could change. We could go down to the electric route if we can get the range. Yeah. So I think there will be a few things coming in the next five years. Maybe the electric thing might be a, a bit longer than five years. Technology will probably play a huge part as well. Yeah. Because no, we're all 24-7 now. You, you won't be moving people at 3 a.m. in the morning, I wouldn't have thought, unless they need to get out quickly. Yeah. But 
technology will make everybody be available 24-7. 100%. Yeah, we've seen that already. So, you know, all of our fleet is tracked and traced so we can see where crews are, how they're operating, how they're getting on. All of our operators have devices so then they can report back and all that kind of jazz. Yeah. So transport on a whole is really seeing a good enhancement in terms of technology. And if that keeps on course, it will definitely make the experience of moving effects around the country uh, an easier process. What I would like to see is more emphasis put on quality and service delivery. Unfortunately, we do see a lot of companies running with very little assets and very lean crews and they subcontract a lot of work, which I feel is not 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 a great service for your clients. Great price, no problem. Uh, you can reduce your, your liabilities down fine. But actually, I think fulfilling door to door is essential, especially for the domestic moving market, because it's quite a personal industry. And that's why we only do door to door. We don't subcontract out to any other operators. Because actually your crew get great enjoyment from starting a job and shaking their hands and saying good to clients at the end. And I think that will never change. So I would like to see less emphasis on reducing costs down and more emphasis on delivering great service to clients because clients want it and there's a market for it. Are they prepared to pay for it, though? That's the big question. Yeah, I know it takes a bit. If it's sold correctly, I do think you will get the price that you ask for. 100%. You have to sell it. If you're just going to go in, do a survey, provide a quote. If you don't get it, well, you didn't put any effort into it. Yeah, no, 100%. You've got yeah. to put the effort in. Yeah, it takes a bit of conversation with the clients. If you show them how moves run, because most clients only move three times in their life, right? Whereas most removal men have moved tens of thousands of houses over their operating oh, windows. So they know how things should run. So then giving clients options in terms of service is good. And if they want to pay the extra and have a first-class service, then give them the option to do it because not all clients actually want the cheapest chips option. And if you give them options, then actually you'd be surprised at what they're willing to pay for a great service. Yeah. So what do you do outside of the industry to switch off then, Josh? Being a owner-operator, naturally... There's not a lot of free time. <laughs> uh, 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 I'm pretty certain. Join the club. Yeah, I'm pretty certain I was up on my laptop until 9pm last night. We had a few clients accept moves with very little time between exchange and completion. This is something that I'd actually like to see maybe have a little bit more attention paid to because it's, um, it's really risky for people buying and selling houses at the moment with short windows between the two. It leaves clients, movers, solicitors all at risk. And it's not sensible. So then last night, 9pm, confirming bookings for moves a few days away, which then involves uh, a lot of scheduling. These diaries are booked in weeks in advance. So last minute adjustments have a knock on effect in terms of scheduling. Yeah, but the removal industry can handle that because they're not paid the 150 quid an hour that the solicitor pen pushers are. <laughs> I know, I know. Which but, uh, but... really gets my back up. 
Yeah, it's a little bit insane, but the knock-on effect. I think we should all do what Jordan said on a couple of episodes ago. We should get some of the solicitors, the conveyances, to come and do some removals. Come and do some removals. Get Channel 4 involved or Channel 5 and yeah, let's yeah. create a TV series. Well, let's get think, some of these idiots out there and see what they what they think of a day's work. Yeah, well, I think the like, technology has really opened the window for transport. There's a lot of movers and transport operators that broadcast their services more than ever online. So there is a lot more attention than there used to be. And if we keep yeah. up with that level of traction, then naturally there'll be more light shone on it. And it's definitely something that needs adjusting. I think moving five to six bedroom houses with a week between exchange and completion is super risky for all involved. And it's it's not a sensible system for anyone and, and, and leaves all parties in incredible risk. But yeah, it makes to, to adjust that for sure. And, you know, I don't mind having a couple of solicitors coming working for us for a couple of days. <laughs> I'll keep them busy. There we go. If there's a solicitor or two listening, please contact Joshua Taylor. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> and finally, I like to end my podcast with a funny moving story. Do you have one or more to tell? Uh, yeah. So being in this industry for nearly 20 years, I've got lots of stories for sure. I'll tell you two, which are, which are not rude, but really funny. <laughs> I was on site port driver for a long period of time. So then doing national, international moves all over the country. And one of the moves that we were completing was into the south of Wales from our branch in Berkshire. And uh, it was a great British weather day. So snowing, sleet, the lot. We completed our delivery and we're returning back in a HTV and the windscreen wipes stopped working and naturally you, you, know, you can't drive any further pulled over we called our our branch manager at the time and said look you know these are not working and he said he said well you have to stay there and this this was on a bank holiday so no no AA cover at that point oh no no sleeper cab sleeping in the snow oh. yeah exactly so uh we were quite proactive with finding solutions so we jumped in the back got a couple of ties and we were able to tie two ties on each window wiper uh, had the window open and uh, <laughs> between me the driver and another porter we were kind of rotating who was pulling the ties to keep the window wipers turning so we could drive through the snow the full length <laughs> full length of the four back to our depot wow Made it back at like 9pm at night after a very torturous few hours. But um, the AA still <laughs> still at that point hadn't even called to schedule a solution for fixing it. So the alternative was to sit until the morning in a cab in no. the cold or, or, or get home. And, and this, brings us back to, <laughs> this actually brings us back to why we as a business only purchase good assets and vehicles so we only use euro six fleet with good and reliable mechanics because that and a good backup service and a a good backup yeah so all of our vehicles are managed and have support cover if required and the operator that we were working with at the time had no such thing there was no aa cover (laughs) you know it was all sort of last minute.com which is fine but (laughs) you need to be able to get your staff home when you need to and if you're running with a, with a vehicle that's 15 years old, 
with subpar wipers that's what happens <laughs> but yeah we made it home safe and well obviously vehicle then needed a lot of attention we've broken the motors for the windscreen wipers so it needed attention but being a 15 year old vehicle it needed a full reset because we couldn't wow. get the mechanics to work hopefully you didn't get a bill for that no so he took it on the chin actually good Naturally, he didn't have to pay any recovery services or staff overtime. So he saved him a small fortune. So he saved then. a small fortune, exactly. And what was your other story then, Joshua? Uh, so <laughs> I was once packing a bed in a master bedroom and I pulled <laughs> open a, a divan storage drawer under the bed and it's completely empty, but I could hear something sort of rattling around. So I pulled it open and something just rolled towards me. And, you know, I was looking, I was thinking, what is that? And I looked up. Torch. Yeah, it was it was a torch shape. But I looked up to the client and he sort of saw me, looked at it, between <laughs> me, him and his son, who was looking, questioning at the item. I just <laughs> shut the door slowly <laughs> and then walked out of the room. It was quite funny. And then for the rest of the day, every time I saw the young boy, he was just, you know, he just stitches because uh, it was a very long torch. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so we left it there for the duration of the move, actually. We ended up taping the base together, transporting it as is, no touching involved. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Seen it. These are the stories that I love. I just think they're brilliant because why? Yeah, you're moving. Why would you let removal men find your own personal complete, items? Yeah, completely like empty I drawer. Uh, very odd surprise, yeah. Ah oh dear. Joshua, many thanks for giving up your time this morning to record an episode of Moving Matters with me. I truly appreciate it. Pleasure. Thanks for having me. You're very welcome. I sincerely hope you enjoyed episode 48 of Moving Matters. Please rate, review and subscribe in your favourite podcast player of choice. And please tell your industry colleagues about Moving Matters. My thanks and appreciation go to Joshua Taylor of Caversham Moves for giving up his time to record this episode. Thank you again, Joshua. If you would like to know more about Caversham Moves and the services they provide, then you will find links within the show notes for this episode and on our webpage, movingmatterspodcast.co.uk. And please, if you have a funny moving story that can be relayed to our listeners or you would like to be a guest on the podcast, then do reach out to me by completing the contact form on our webpage, movingmatterspodcast.co.uk. Well, that is all from me. So until next time, keep moving.